Dr. Rob McKenna, and welcome to The Wild Conversation, where we make the best thinking in psychology, leadership, and organizational science accessible to leaders who are willing to learn and edit for their sake and for the sake of others. And this is the place where we're, we're going to talk about how things really are. That's what The Wild Conversation is about, not as they are in theory. And where could that be more, more important than in a conversation around fighting well and handling conflict well? The context won't be a pretend world where everyone plays by the rules and treats each other well all the, all the time, but the real world, where we must lead strong in the face of very challenging people, and we also must face the challenge that the challenging person might be us. So to get started, I'd love for you to imagine something with me. Imagine this. Imagine working in an organization where your job is clear. And you have a direct line of sight between what you're doing in your piece of that organization. And it doesn't matter. If you're a very senior leader in a very large organization, you still know what I mean. You Where what you're doing in that your piece, the thing you're responsible for, and the final product or service you provide, where there's a line of sight between what it is you're doing and what it is you provide and on mission. You see that connection. Imagine that organization where your results are meaningful because even if you don't have a daily interaction with your customers, you can, or the people that you serve, you can see the linkage between what you produce and the increased level of flourishing experienced by those people. Imagine that you have respect for your manager and you work with a manager or senior leader who sees you while working at maintaining appropriate boundaries. Imagine an organization where toxicity and blame are not tolerated and performance and care for people are rewarded. Imagine an organization that is intentional about connecting the systems, the performance, the production, the operations, everything, the whole thing to the heart of the people who walk its halls or fill its virtual offices every day. And imagine that you work on a team in that organization where conflict isn't avoided or managed and psychological safety is, is sought but it is common knowledge that we all must feel just a little unsafe to learn and grow and to actually get anything done. And where your team fights well. You disagree when it's important to do so, and you fight hard, but you fight well. When I think about many of the teams that I know, this, this is where this got heavy for me, even preparing and doing research for this week. This is not their reality. It weighs heavy on me because I know the daily continually <laughs> the daily and continual beating that being on an unhealthy team with an unhealthy and maybe less than a whole manager can have on a person. A, in a job that is tough with a manager who doesn't confront things or who rules by fear, you can feel like a boat that has come off its moorage and is being beaten against the rocks on the shore over and over again. It wears you down one nice mean comment, you know what I'm talking about some of you at a time, one conflict avoiding moment at a time, or one actually mean comment at a time. Those moments when that really tough person on the team that taxes everyone is not dealt with once again and is appeased. Or one backhanded compliment at a time. There are so many, so many people work in organizations where trust is low, teams fight behind each other's backs, they fight dirty, performance isn't rewarded, hiding is rewarded, and it's hard. And, I, and I'm setting this up and I got great energy, right? It's like, oh yeah, Rob, let's talk about this. But we have to face the real story. 
We've uh, this is going to be a whole story. We have all been on teams where trust was low, and even we were making we may have been making money and growing the business or the mission of our nonprofit. We knew that either we were going to be leaving or the mission was not sustainable. And we've all been on those teams. Teams where members were either stepping on, were stepping on or trampling others, or where peacemongering won out over honest dialogue in search of better answers. Or we've been on teams with a manager who talked behind our backs or lacked the relation, relational and personal backbone to stand strong and care for our well-being and our performance. There is a different way. Many of us have experienced that way as well. And here's another litmus test. The litmus test is a team that fights well. A team fighting well is a really important litmus test of a team that is innovative, healthy, mature, whole, and where trust is deepening and not diminishing. And some of you might be thinking, oh, this is too harsh. And He's saying that for effect, but I'm saying just because it's real, a team that does not fight well or that does not fight at all is a team that will, over time, introduce a relational rust. I've talked about this related to trust often into an organization over time, and that rust will destroy trust and completely lock up our teams in unhealthy ways. And what does what does fighting well have to do with trust? What is fighting well? Fighting well is disagreeing respectfully, but not too cautiously. A team that fights well puts the real issues on the table, but does, does that with care. A team that fights well is a team of people who are honest with one another, where members on the team don't talk behind each other's backs after a tough meeting, unless it is to understand another member of the team better and see their perspective. A team that fights well is most often led by a very differentiated leader who is working hard at seeing everything, at managing the pressure cooker well, and understands that their job is to create the laboratory environment where hypotheses can be tested, chemicals can be mixed without blowing up the laboratory and setting us back weeks, months, or even years. A team that fights well doesn't peacemonger or step on people, but talks with truth and care. Conversations of love and truth, as a mentor of mine would say, when we stop fighting, and more appropriately, fighting well, we stop progressing. We stop flourishing and we stop learning. It's a tough reality, but it's real, right? It's real. We've seen this. And as an executive client of ours told me before we started working with his organization to develop whole and sustaining trust and to put a conversational infrastructure in place for people to see one another, he said this, we don't fight well. And we don't fight at all. And that is very dangerous. This is what he went on to say. He said, trust is low and progress has slowed to a halt. So what does this have to do with trust? Disagreement is a natural process in the formula for progress. And if we don't disagree face to face, we will disagree when that other face isn't there, but in the form of blame or organizational gossip. In the face of high pressure, I have yet to experience a team where disagreement didn't exist. Whether or not it was being discussed in the open is another question. And show me a team where trust is high, and I will show you a team that fights well. And if we aren't fighting, we're either peacemongering or rolling with a cultural story that it isn't okay to see the problems in the team. So, and I know for some of you, I'm touching a nerve right now. And I, I'll, I'm going I'm to provide some things, some possible pathways out, what the research says, and what my own experience has said, but where do we begin? 
if we're to build trust at a much deeper level level in our teams, here's here's a couple of principles before I give you some of those practical things. First of all, is this pressure is a privilege. The first principle is that principle is that pressure is a privilege. This is a quote from Billie Jean King on the at the entrance of the US Open uh, when players walk out. And as many of you have heard me say over the years, pressure is that invisible force that tells us that something is moving and changing. Pressure is a necessary part of organizational life and life in general. A leader's job is not to make the pressure go away, but to manage the pressure cooker of life and work to be aware of when to turn up the heat and when to dial it back a little. That's our job. But without pressure in moments of non-pressure, so we got to know when it's, it's necessary to turn things down, our biggest challenges are that we stop learning and even become complacent and bored. And what if pressure is a privilege? What does that mean? As a former collegiate tennis player, I wish I had that quote read when I was still playing competitively because there are a few pieces of real estate in the there are a few pieces of real estate in the world that like a tennis court that can literally put me right back in that pressure cooker. It's no wonder that so many books were written about the psychology of tennis. The Inner Game of Tennis was a book that was written and it was described this way. The inner game is the one played within the mind of the player against the hurdles of self-doubt, nervousness, and lapses in concentration. And I had never felt pressure the way I felt pressure when I was a collegiate tennis player. And there's a whole story about why and some of those pieces of that puzzle. But it was a big deal to me because it connected so many things in my identity and in the battle that I felt, not just with my opponent, but within me, that I didn't feel in team sports. And I wish I had heard that quote much sooner, that pressure is a privilege. I think I would have felt differently about so many things if I had. Now, I'm not dismissing that some pressure is not a privilege and may simply be pain. But what Billie Jean King is referring to is the privilege of being a part of a moment that matters. And that even our pain and suffering may be something to see differently. And moments that matter will cause pressure and conflict and a moment to fight. And they will demand that we develop the muscles allowing us to fight well. So what does this mean have to do with a team that fights well? A team that fights well is a team of individuals who understand that the pressure that arises from disagreeing or working through to better decisions is a privilege. Because fighting for your principles while caring for others is a privilege. And once again, here is that team connection to the leader Show me a team that fights poorly and I'll either show you a leader who doesn't fight well or fight fair or an organizational culture of peacemongering or fear that has become too powerful for any leader to navigate. Pressure is a privilege because it's a reminder that we're able to be a part of a moment that matters and we're likely playing a role in that moment. The other thing is that I kind of have mentioned this and I, so I won't say a lot more about this, but fighting poorly is a leadership problem. Um, and so it does come back to a person who can stand well in the middle of the storm. It's so interesting to think about that. Sometimes that leader is the manager or isn't the manager. It's like this person who's leading things who isn't necessarily in that role. These are teams that are led by someone who does not want to fight, but their motive is different. There's peacekeeping leader is the person who's really uncomfortable with conflict or the overbearing truth speaking leader who simply doesn't have people who have the courage or power to confront them. There's all kinds of leadership challenges in this, but what can we do to build a team that fights well? Let me give you a couple of ideas. One thing is this, progress, and this is related to that pressure is a privilege idea. Progress requires some collisions to see it differently. 
to put it on the table. Even in our wild charter for our organization, our wild charter says this, fighting well. The best answers come when we are honest. This is what it says. Could they come when we're honest? And honesty sometimes involves conflict. This is a core value of ours that is that is every team member before they join our organization reads and we continually talk about. The second thing is this, model for error. This is a team, model for error. This is, we're talking about a team where every individual has evidence-based convictions about what they think should happen and holds 25% of their mind open to the possibility that they are either seeing it wrong or that their convictions may be off. Model for some error. That's another big one. Number three, hire editable individuals. A team that fights well is made up of people who are strong and know that they are, have more to learn. The greatest raw material is a person who is sharp, wants to learn, and knows that the other people will matter as much or more than they will. They know they are broken, but working at being healed and whole. So it's, I think the raw material is someone who, who's, in a, who's, in a, who's ready to grow, and, and everybody can get there. But we have to have people. That's the best raw material. Number four, deal with the problem, people. This is a big one, y'all. Fighting well. Face them head on. This is one of the, this is the most, most people who've studied leadership know that this is a huge deal. It is just as damaging for a leader not to deal with problems as it is to be mean. Nothing breaks down trust in a leader faster than a leader who does not confront those who are not editing yet. They deserve their chance to change, but if they won't edit while standing strong, they don't get to destroy our team. And there's likely a better place for them to serve anyway. It's not fun, but it's important. Here's another one. Put a system in place for seeing each other. You know, this is a big deal to me. We have to have a way to talk about who we are, what we're good at, what we're learning, what mission we're on, understanding our competence, understanding the experiences that are necessary for us to get to do our job well. Henry Cloud in his book on trust says this. He said, trust begins not with convincing someone to trust you, it doesn't start that way. It starts with someone feeling that you know them. And we need help knowing each other. And this is where whole leader and person development is so fundamental as a platform for building trust. We don't build trust because we call it out. We build trust because we begin to see one another. Here's another one. And this is related to that. We, can't, we don't fight well when we can't see each other. We have to get things out in the light. We have to turn the lights on. Some of you know that uh, I game a bit. Yes, I do. And it's interesting. It started with Pong. That's the gateway game. Gets you in trouble. And it's now advanced to Call of Duty. That's where I've been for a long time. And while I don't go into public, I don't go into public game chats. When I do, I got to tell you, it's pretty disturbing. What people say to each other behind an avatar. And I mean really disturbing. If no one ever functioned out in the open, and what we saw in those hidden places was all we saw, and that was our work. I can almost promise you that you would lose hope. But fortunately, we don't. In life, there are strong and caring leaders and team members who, who insist we function out in the open and see one another. That's another big one. Um, and then I want to I leave you with this. This has been a big deal as I have developed teams that fight well. And this has been a principle of mine. If I'm honest with you, I used to say that one of the reasons I put this in the charters of the organizations I've had an opportunity to lead that we fight well. I used to say this. I used to say the reason why it's in there is because I don't. 
And I think there's some truth to that. But I would tell you, if I'm honest with it, I thought more about it. I don't think anybody really does. We all have to work at this, at fighting better. And so here's my, my final sort of would be a tip. Look for third options. Teams that don't fight well and don't fight often struggle to find courageous action. And teams that fight that don't fight well lock down on one side of the debate, not realizing that if they simply pivoted, and when you think about pivot, we think of like that the massive change. I think about basketball pivoting. All it means is I turn one step to the right or left and I see another option. And if we did that, we would see that maybe neither of the two options on the table are right. And there's a third option that was just waiting to be seen if we just turned our heads. Looking for a third option. I've told teams over and over again in meetings where the conflict has gotten high is, what is the third option? Because it's there. And actually, most of the time, I will tell you that it's been the better option. And teams that fight well see the two options and they also look for the third. And as we keep talking about this, I invite you to see the possibilities. What would change if your team fought well? If each person was looking out for the rest while taking clear stands and also adapting, adapting their convictions, like continuing to adapt what it is I feel is important, but also standing strong. It changes so much. Fighting well is editing well. And is such a key part of not only progress, but trust. So let's not stop fighting for important things, but let's begin to fight well. And that is my aspiration. And let's keep the conversation going. Thank you for listening to this wild conversation. To join our live wild conversation on Fridays, visit our website at wildleaders.org backslash wild conversation. And subscribe to this podcast for regular whole and intentional leader development conversations. Have a great day.